It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Novak Djokovic seals the year-end number one ranking yet again. Russia capture the Billie Jean King Cup. And the end-of-season fields are set for Turin and Guadalajara. Kim, what a week it has been on the ATP and WTA tours. We have just had the Paris Masters, the last Masters of the ATP tour this season. And we have a familiar face as our champion, Novak Djokovic, coming through against Daniel Medvedev. We are also looking forward to the WTA end of season finals as well in Guadalajara. Uh, They're all going out there at the moment. I see they are (laughs) touching down in the airport and a mariachi band is uh, greeting them on arrival. Um, And we've also got all the uh, latest tournaments in Stockholm for the men and ATP 250 and Linz as well for the women on the WTA side with Emma Raducanu and Simona Hallett playing. So even though we're at the end of the season, we've still got so much tennis to look forward to. I haven't even spoken about the fact that we've got the next gen finals as well. Let's start in Paris. Novak Djokovic seals year end number one, wins Paris for what I think sixth, seventh time. It's one of his favorite masters, masters to play, I think. And uh, yeah, he beats Daniel Medvedev in a three set thriller coming through and getting a bit of revenge from, uh, you know, the US Open final. Yes, sixth Paris Masters for Novak Djokovic, seventh year-end number one. Uh, Normal service has been resumed. I feel oddly (laughs) comforted by the fact that Novak Djokovic has won a Masters series and, you know, because it's just so obvious that he would win. (laughs) And it's almost, yeah, like this weird kind of, um, I don't know, it's things felt right with the world because Djokovic you know did what he was supposed to do and and won um yes it was three sets four six six three six three so coming through against yeah the the man who beat him in that US Open final a couple of months ago and um you know Djokovic said afterwards that he had gone back and obviously looked closely at that final to see what what went wrong for him and and what he should, you know, implement this time round, you know, in the next match. And, um, you know, he did certainly um, make some changes. You know, he came into the net a lot, which proved very uh, fruitful for Novak. Um, I think, you know, points one, sort of four shots and less in the rally, you know, he was significantly up on those and obviously a very effective strategy um, from that kind of end of the first set onwards. And, um yeah, coming through as Novak does. So, uh, you know, Medvedev had a great week, but Djokovic back on top as as I guess he uh, he should be. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, you know, I think yeah, people were quite reassured, I think, with a final between the top, the top two players. And they are, I think, the top two players, you know, this season in terms of what they've shown us on a, on a tennis court. And I think everyone was really excited, um, you know, to, to have that as the final. And I think, you know, it was interesting because it was a rematch from, you know, the US Open final, you know, when 
you know, for Novak Djokovic, it was, you know, he still had those hopes, right, of a perfect season. And, you know, his tactics in that final, you felt like, you know, he felt that maybe he could beat Daniel Medvedev at his own game, just trading baseline to baseline and he would have been able to kind of wear him down but that that didn't that didn't happen and he didn't obviously he ended up as a runner-up at the US Open so he did change his tactics didn't he and it was quite obvious uh I think in this match in terms of as you said he tried to shorten the points I feel come into the net he was doing a lot of serve and volley as well and I think one of the reasons for that was you know Daniel Medvedev his his kind of position on return is quite far behind the baseline I feel like he likes to take a few steps further back so that when that ball is coming towards him there's, there's less speed on it the further he stands back so there's less chance that you know he creates an error for himself so it was quite interesting I think to to see that from Djokovic and it I think worked really really well for him I think his first serve percentage as well was another kind of point of difference uh, between him and Medvedev, particularly in the kind of second and third sets. But uh, yeah, I think it was a very, it was a very, very good performance from Djokovic because you know, he just really kind of scraped through against Hubert Herkaj in the semi-finals, And, you know, watching Medvedev kind of ruthlessly thrash uh, Zverev, for, I think for the fifth time in a row, 6-2, 6-2. I was sort of thinking, you know, Novak Djokovic, if he wants to, you know, get this revenge on on uh, Medvedev, he, he's going to need to up his game. But um, yeah, he I was quite happy because, yeah, he went away and learnt his lessons. And I think, again, it just shows you, even though if you're considered one of the greatest of all time to step foot on a tennis court, there are still many things you can learn. And I think this is an example of that and how it has changed, I guess, from Flushing Meadow to Paris Percy. Yeah, much more variety. You know, he said mm. after that, that is what wins against Medvedev. You can't just sort of play him at his own game. Mm. And, and Novak did that. And I think it was sort of classic Djokovic. It was sort of two all in that last set. And he managed to get the break and then sort of won nine of the next like 11 points to suddenly be up 5-3. And it's just... You know, you can't let that happen at a critical point in the final set decider. So, um, yeah, I mean, Novak will be in prime position, I guess, for the Turin, you know, event. Like he's he's come back, played Paris, which he may not have even really been expecting to win. Perhaps he might have just wanted to get a few matches under his belt before the finals. But here he is with the title and perhaps they'll they'll meet again. I think it's probably quite likely that we'd see at least one match in Turin between these two. Yes, definitely. I mean, they're both, I mean, they're both as well on the indoor hard court. Very, very impressive. I mean, Medvedev is 19 and two on indoor court since, uh, start of last year's, uh, tournament in Paris. So, you know, he's no, he's no fool on a, on an indoor hard court. And I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with a final in Turin between Djokovic and Medvedev, because it does feel like they are a cut above everyone else. And, you know, a lot of, it was a lot of, interesting talk about you know going into this match around the the head-to-head and this rivalry and you know people uh you know talking about this this is the rivalry that has really kind of I think captured people's imaginations more than any other rivalry I think um you know over the you know over the the over this season and you know we haven't had you know as many or, or if any really kind of you know Federer Nadal uh matches yes we've had had Djokovic Nadal in part but feels like this is a rivalry that has really this season I think cemented itself as certainly one of the marquee matches for for fans to look forward to and um, it will be I would be curious to see how they go because I still think that Medvedev has you know the weapons to to beat Djokovic but I think he's going to now need to I think he's now going to need to do a need to do a Novak Djokovic and 
reassess this match and, and go and watch it back to understand, you know, what he needs to do in Turin because it does feel like Djokovic's answer to, you know, Medvedev's wall-like play from the baseline is to shorten the port, shorten the points by coming into net and doing a bit of serve and volley. Absolutely. And are you talking about big rivalries and, and the ATP finals? I was just thinking mm. back to that amazing match that we had last year in London at the ATP finals between mm. team and Djokovic. Do you remember? It was like an two really close yes. epic tie breaks. Yes. And I'm looking forward to Dominic team being back on tour and <laughs> him resurrecting that rivalry with Djokovic because that's another one that gives a lot uh, to the fans, I think. Well, I do I do think we have missed... It doesn't feel like we've had rivalries as much, dare I say, on the ATP tour this season. I feel like we've had really decent like matches, but it doesn't feel like, uh, like there have been as many rivalries to really kind of talk about. And I think, as I said, a lot of people are looking at this Djokovic and Medvedev rivalry as something that can really potentially really carry the tour um you know in on you know in the atp at, at the masters level at a grand slam level um you know through potentially the next you know the next few seasons because it is such a it's such an interesting matchup and now you've got that sort of added spice in there i think of the fact that medvedev stopped djokovic from uh you know completing a career grand slam a season slam you know, it's got a fascinating kind of dynamic to it. And I think it's a story that has got a lot, it's got a lot, lot more mileage to go, I think. I think, though, it does need to be an all-surface rivalry to become mm. truly epic. You know, it's it's not going to be at that level yet unless Medvedev mm. can really improve himself on <laughs> on clay and grass. But, that you know, there is time for that to to develop. I mean, it's certainly uh, on the ATP Tour. There's no there's no epics like, I don't know, a Coco Goff, Jill Teichman is there, Joel. <laughs> we don't quite have that, that sort of dynamic yet. No. But um, let's talk about what else happened in Paris because there was a lot of other storylines woven into the week um British players I mean Cam Norrie was obviously hoping to do very well this week in order to qualify for the ATP finals um unfortunately he lost to Taylor Fritz in straight sets in the last 16 so um wasn't quite able to get that last um that last spot which obviously went to to Hubert Hercash in the end um and and Casper Ruud as, as the final two but I mean, Norrie, yeah, it's a shame, but Taylor Fritz was very, very in form um, and, you know, hasn't lost many matches of late. So I, I guess not a big surprise either. Yeah, no, he, Taylor Fritz has been very looking, been looking very, very solid over the last few weeks. Um, he's one of my dark horses, actually. He's playing in uh, Stockholm, uh, which I certainly will have an eye on him. But yeah, he was just a bit too good for, for Cam Norrie. I was quite, I was quite disappointed, actually, because I thought Norrie looked really good. I mean, he came through Del Bonis. 6261 and then he came through a pelka 6364 which i thought was very very impressive um no tie breaks got the job done with minimal fuss so i thought you know there was potential there um for him to kind of carry that through against fritz who you know is unseeded but certainly one of those american players who i think he's actually i mean he might even now be american us number one or he's certainly kind of pushing up there um but um yeah i think it was kind of disappointment for him i mean he was always going to be in a race against you know her cash i mean obviously sinner was there but didn't didn't manage to make it as well and yeah it was a bit disappointing but i mean not the most disappointing annoyingly news for, for british fans of the week because we had andy murray as well um against lucky loser dominic Kurt for kim and this is a match i think for me and a lot of 
Andy Murray fans. They're not going to be wanting to dwell on this t- too much into the future. Well, you know, we were talking a few episodes back about Andy Murray and last set tie breaks. And I guess this is case in point oh, because, gosh. you know, yeah. it was 11-9 he lost uh, in that last set tie break. And I mean, to be fair, Kurtfer was, you know, very much in control. Six four five three up, you know. So Andy did really mm. well to to come back and have his own match points, um, you know, in that last set. But yeah, he was not uh, happy with the way you know that whole match ended. Uh, you know, he had seven match points and Kutfer was able to uh, to come through uh, and get the job done in the end. And you know, Andy Murray will be hoping that. <laughs> Well, I was going to say last set tie breaks, but they, it really has become a bit of a broken record, hasn't it, with yeah. him and last set tie breaks. I hate to say, at least he's getting to that point and he's not being thrashed. You know, that, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, I know. It was, it was deeply frustrating. At points, you were sort of like, has he forgotten how to, has he forgotten how to win? Has he forgotten how to kind of close out a match? Because he did sort of look at times on those match points, kind of devoid of, of not, of, of, of knowing really what to do or how to, you know, how to finish it. And, um, you know, Kurtford, to his credit, you know, stayed in, um, you know, was obviously really kind of gritty at times. But, um, yeah, he didn't let that sort of falter in all the way through that kind of second set to get at him. And to come through in three was very, very impressive from him. I guess the only kind of solace I could kind of take from it as an Andy Murray fan is that Kurtford did have put a decent, he did put a pretty decent run together because he then went to beat Felix Ogier Aliasim, 6-3-7-5, then took a set off Hubert Herkaj before succumbing in three. So he had a very decent week for him. But um, yeah, very frustrating for, for Murray because you just don't associate a player with that quality just giving out so many kind of free uh, points on match points so easily. But, you know, it's it's one of it's it's again, it's part of the, the learning process. And uh, he'll be back next season. He's in Stockholm at the moment. And, um, you know, I'm hoping he is you know, he's still obviously motivated. And I hope he doesn't dwell on this defeat too much because it very much could have gone one way or the other. Absolutely. And in another match where we had a, a sort of epic comeback as well was the uh, Alcaraz Gaston oh my uh, match. <laughs> Uh, Ugo Gaston. (laughs) Yeah, the crowd were really wild in this one. I mean, rightly so. Gaston, home hope, had that amazing run at Roland Garros last year. And he was uh, five love down in the second set uh, of that match to Alcaraz, but came back, won seven games in a row. And I think only lost one, you know, one point in the last 21. And the crowd were just, yeah, insane. I think Alcaraz, bless him, he, um, he found it quite hard to deal with the, you know, the incredibly one-sided atmosphere um, and how to deal with, you know, that sort of pressure. But, you know, he's very young. He'll learn. And and they are both at the um, the next-gen final. So perhaps they'll be able to have another rematch with a slightly more neutral crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The crowd were... I mean, it really did feel like Davis Cup at times in that arena. Um, it was loud. It wasn't just this match as well. Um, you know, Medvedev, Gaston as well in the following match. I watched a bit of that live and... Again, the the atmosphere was electric. Medvedev really had to kind of, you know, he was battling Gaston and he was battling the crowd. And I think you just show, you know, those two matches, Gaston Alcaraz, Gaston Medvedev. You can see, I think, the difference in terms of, you know, what it takes to be mentally tough, I think, between Alcaraz, who's still learning, as you said, he's a very young player, to someone like Medvedev, who has a bit more experience and was able to kind of use that, I think, all of that sort of emotion that the the fans were were showing him not showing him and using that to his advantage but yeah for Alcaraz it was 
quite tough to watch him. You know, he had his head in his uh, in his towel um, on the changeover. I think uh, in the second set. You know, the crowd was singing uh, the national anthem. They were booing and hollering on when he was faulting. You know, this was a new learning experience for him. And, you know, it, although it's one, obviously, that ended in a loss, I think, you know, he will take a lot of, um, you know, he'll take a lot from from this match. But it just, I think, reminds you that despite, you know, showing, you know, he's such a talented guy and such a talented individual, there is a lot more to learn than just, you know, how to hit a forehand and how to hit a backhand. And it's about managing the you know, the fans and the, you know, the, the, the environment, because Hugo Gaston was, you know, riling them up. He really wanted to to feed off of that energy. Whereas you could just tell Alcaraz, he just wanted absolutely none of it, but, um, you know, he's got to be able to handle those pressure situations. And I think he will, again, kind of look back on this performance and think about, you know, how do I, how do I handle the the crowd around me as much as the, the individual across the court? Because, you know, that's what makes tennis so fascinating. There's lots of different dimensions and not necessarily, even though it's an individual sport, it's not necessarily just you versus your opponent. No, there's so many factors at play. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, Alcaraz, well, we'll see him at the next gen finals, but we do have the ATP tour finals uh, lineup all set. And that final spot did go to Hubert Herkash, who did make the semifinals in Paris. Um, he got uh, his final spot after beating James Duckworth in the quarterfinals. So <laughs> um, he's he, only the second uh, Polish player to get into that uh, event in the history of the event. So um, big sort of you know big breakthrough for for Polish tennis there and um, actually the lineup of this year's player field the average age is 26 which is the youngest since 2009 so it's been 12 years since we've had a lineup this young and that's probably because we haven't got you know Roger, Rafa, Stan <laughs> or um, or Andy, Andy Murray there. it's yeah. just Novak as the sort of uh, resident you know, old fogey of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, it's all it's all European as well. And mm. I think that's the same on the uh, women's side as well. Yes, Ash Barty would have been there. But um, yeah, it's an all European field. So you've got Djokovic, Medvedev, Sissipas, Zverev, Rublev, uh, Matteo Berrettini in front of his home crowd, and then Kasper Ruud along with Hubert Hercage. So yeah, quite a quite an interesting field, quite an open. Fi- I mean, it feels like quite an open field. I mean, I dare I say I still feel like everyone that's not named Djokovic and Medvedev is sort of playing for the <laughs> runner-up spots uh, or places to lose in the the semi-finals. But um, yeah, it, it feels certainly there's kind of two clear kind of front runners. And we'll have to see. I mean, Sissipas might not even turn up, Kim, because you know he had to retire in Paris uh, 4-2 down, I think, in his first match to Popperin of Australia. So I think there's a bit of a question mark in terms of whether that alternate will get Sissipas's spot. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, the draw, I think, is later on this week. We'll see what happens with Sissipas. I mean, I, I feel like the, the noise coming out of his camp wasn't too positive. Maybe it'll make more sense for him to just take, just just rest now until, you know, the next season. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that develops. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, just maybe, Cam Norrie may get an appearance if he's there <laughs> as an alternate. But we will see. Um, the doubles lineup is also being confirmed. Interestingly, I found that um, Philip Palasek, who was playing with John Piers in Paris, if he had gone um, further in the tournament with, with John Piers, he would have made it into 
the ATP finals twice because he's already qualified <laughs> with Ivan Dodig and he could have qualified with John Pierce, in which case he would then have had to have chosen which of the two players he wanted to partner up with. Um, and I would have been really intrigued to see who he would have picked because, <laughs> you know, you may have thought he would have picked John Pierce because they've obviously been playing together of late and doing really well. So, um, but that's not to be because um, they didn't quite make it in Paris. So he'll be, he'll be stuck with Ivan Dodig. Kim, crucially also in the doubles in Paris, which I didn't even realise, we didn't have Kravitz and Mies. We had Kravitz versus Mies, which I don't know if, I don't know if, and maybe that's already happened. I'm sure we've got some doubles this is probably telling me that has happened already on the tour this season. But uh, yeah, Kravitz is in the uh, doubles uh, ATP end of season finals with Takao. No Mies is present. Jamie Murray is there with Bruno Suarez as is Joe Salisbury with Rajiv Ram. Mektic and Pavic are there. I mean, Kim, their second half of the season, I feel that like has just kind of fallen off a cliff. So I don't really know how much we can expect from them. Uh, Ugs, Ebert and Mahu, Granola, Zabios, Cabal and Farah, and then, as you said, Dodig and Palasek. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a, a British winner, potentially in Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. I feel like they've been the most constant team over the one of the most constant teams over the season but I mean there's some very some very very handy doubles players there oh definitely I think it's also a very open field and mm. uh yeah 25% chance of a British win I, uh, <laughs> if my maths is correct <laughs> um but yeah one tournament Joel that we didn't have any British representation in was the Billie Jean King Cup you went out to Prague for it um we had the Russian Tennis Federation winning the event, mm. which I think I did predict, although um, I think we both predicted the Czech Republic to get mm. through to the final in, in yep. the home event. That did not happen. <laughs> Didn't happen. It was Switzerland who made it through, but the Russians uh, won the final, you know, with two rubbers to zero. Um, I mean, what did you make of, of the event? I mean, how was your how was your time in Prague? It was fantastic. I mean, Prague is a very beautiful city, quite cheap city as well, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was great and very easy to get to kind of from a fan point of view. Um, felt very safe. Um, you know, there are protocols in place, really nice arena that gave us like a kind of light show uh, and really made it feel like an event. And actually, that was one of the things I actually love, which I've kind of realized that I love about indoor, indoor courts is that you do have that added element of making it feel like a spectacle if you have it in a place like an o2 arena in london or in paris bercy or um you know or here at the you know the prague o2 arena on the on the main court so um you know i really really enjoyed it i was there for the the first four days so for all the kind of group stage action uh i did i did <laughs> meet myself uh I, myself and uh my friend chris uh we did do some kind of passing short diary entries to kind of capture our kind of thoughts after each side so for listeners who want a kind of a deep exploration into kind of the thoughts on our immediate thoughts on the ties we were literally kind of recording uh on the on our seats during the interval so if you want to have a listen just kind of scroll down in the podcast app that you you listen to us on and you'll find them but Kim, talking about that final, Russia versus Switzerland. Russia won 2-0. I mean, not totally surprising given the strength, I think, that, that Russia came into came into this tournament with. I think they had, what, top four, five, top 50 uh, women singles players. But I think the big controversy was around that second rubber because it was meant to be Belinda Bencic versus Pavlachenkova. Did that happen? no. Did Pencic get notified or did the Swiss team get notified 15 minutes from it, uh, from going on court? Yes. Yeah, they weren't particularly happy about that because they felt the reason that was happening 
was so that Samsonova could play because Samsonova's record against Bencic is infinitely better. So they felt it was kind of bending the rules in order to get a, a superior advantage. And Switzerland were not happy. And Bencic has been tweeting about it ever since. I think she's unfollowed Kasatkina as well on Instagram. So a lot of a lot of fallout from that uh, that second singles match, which Bencic lost in three to Samsonova. Yeah, because Samsonova has beaten Bencic twice. Um, mm. Like in the she last... made it a hat trick six months and um you know has been in really good form as well and you know both Samsonova and Bencic I think were unbeaten this week so but technically Pavlichenkova as the highest ranked should have been up against Bencic who's the highest ranked for Switzerland um so yes people were saying that the Russian Tennis Federation did manipulate uh how how it's supposed to work because you know technically the only way that they could play Samsonova was to have someone else fielded to then pull out but you know how are we to know that Pavlichenkova you know genuinely wasn't you know injured or I mean if you're a football manager you you want to field your best players or the players that you know would fare well against the opposition so I kind of feel like maybe that should just be allowed like you should be able to field um within reason like you should be able to substitute a lower ranked player if you think it's actually going to be a better matchup perhaps that's an innovation they could introduce um but yeah having said that Benchich you know she she lost that match in three sets Kazakina had already beaten Jill Teichman in straight sets so uh Russia won their first Fed Cup until uh, since 2008 so yeah it's been a fair a fair amount of time actually since they've won it considering they've you know yeah, I know. Quite surprising the length of time, I think, between this win and their last win. I mean, it is interesting you talk about, like, could you, should you just be able to choose whatever player you want to play? Because there is, you know, when I was there as a fan, there is the expectation that, you know, your top ranked player plays, um, you know, your opposition's top ranked player. And then the second high is... Um, you know, the second top ranked player versus the second top ranked player. But maybe there needs to be a bit more kind of flexibility. And actually, you can just sort of choose whoever you want to, uh, you know, to, to uh, you know, to face up. Um, and maybe there was a bit of kind of a rotation kind of policy going on because, you know, this is at the end of the season. And, you know, there are a lot of kind of tired legs out there. So maybe it, it feels like there should be a little bit more kind of flexibility. Yes, I get it's probably for, you know, the fans and making sure that, the you know the integrity i think of the event is protected by making sure the best players kind of turn up for it but um yeah it was uh you know it was a move i think by russia that certainly kind of paid off for them um i was quite still surprised that samsonova won because belinda bencic for me was playing the best singles tennis um in the well in the in the time i saw her play i mean i saw her beat uh Krachikova of, of the Czech Republic um, in the sort of showdown time of the group stage, um, which dumped the Czech Republic out and or, or on the way to, to dumping them out. I think they lost kind of 2-1. But um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was quite interesting. But uh, yeah, it was a great, it was a great tournament. And I, again, you know, there's lots of other kind of talking points as well. You know, we had Suarez Navarro retiring, uh, you know, Australia doing really well, getting to the semifinals, which was a bit of a surprise for me. So yeah, it was a lot of interesting takeaways there i do still feel that there's there's more to be done you know the capacity of the crowd was very rarely over i'd say 40 percent 50 percent um you know lots of empty seats around me so it feels like there maybe can be more done there i you know i think the obvious answer would be to try and combine it somehow with the davis cup i know that sounds impossible and probably is impossible but i feel like that might be some thing that could be looked at 
hopefully in the future, you know, some sort of mixed integration and putting it all in one place. I think both, I actually think both events would be better for it. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about putting them all together at the same time. Mm. That would be a, a mammoth event, but it would be brilliant because, yeah, you could... I mean, they're both at different points in their, in their respective calendars at the moment. So I don't know. I feel like that's pretty far off. And I don't even know where it, what indoor places could could do, could do have the the courts to, to do that. Or whether, yeah. yeah, or whether you do it over, you know, a multi-city format. Perhaps that is why they're testing this multi-city format with the, you know, Davis the Davis Cup. Cup coming up. But um, I do think that there's still work to be done there to make it feel truly like the world cup of tennis um you know it's it's interesting how you know it's it's branded like that and it's branded like that for the davis cup but you know you look at the you look at the crowds and you think if this is a world cup of football if this is a world cup of rugby if this is a world cup of cricket you would not be getting you know as little fans as that so i certainly think there's there's work to be done um it'll be interesting to see how they or if they evolve it over you know the next few years absolutely we will see i mean next year we've got the qualifiers so it's unlikely to change anytime mm. soon but i mean great britain uh we have got the czech republic in our qualifier <laughs> which will be in april oh, 2022 yep. uh, probably the worst draw for great britain i think mm. um away think to czech away. republic yeah yeah not great i mean uh, joe conta is out of the top 100 at the moment uh so we'll be relying on emma raducanu playing that one i think and yeah. uh <laughs> a lot of czech lot- players <laughs> getting injured, injured as, or not refusing not to play as well i mean what they've got Pliskova. Vondrusova, Kvitova, Krachikova. I mean, yeah, it, it feels a very, just on paper, that feels like a very upward battle. And, you know, you would obviously hope Emma Raducanu plays it. Um, and yeah, maybe Joe Conta can bring up her ranking. I mean, there's obviously lots of time un- until then. But uh, yeah, not a, not the nicest tie, I think, to, to get out of the hat. I mean, elsewhere, we've got Australia, Slovakia, Italy versus France, USA versus Ukraine, Belarus, Belgium, Kazakhstan, Germany, Canada, Latvia, Netherlands, Spain, and Poland, Romania. So, yeah, some interesting, interesting ties there. Kim, why couldn't we have just got Latvia at home? That would just been that would just been perfect. Well, Ostapenko and Sevastova. I don't think oh, that's that okay. easy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. They're they're quite a decent team, Latvia. But uh, we will see. And they they are obviously having the the finals again next November. Mm. Although the uh, host city has not been announced yet, so perhaps you'll be able to go somewhere else in Europe or all <laughs> the world for that, Joel. Um, mm. Let's just take a quick ad break now. Uh, but do join us in the second half, where we'll be looking at the upcoming WTA end of season tour finals in Mexico and all the new rules that are being brought in for the ATP Next Gen Finals, including timed bathroom breaks. Watch out, Sitsipas. So yeah, do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half of the show. And before we get on to the news and the previews for uh, events going on this week, I've got a little mysterious player up my sleeve for you and the listeners, Joel. Um, I haven't done this for you in a while, I don't think. So how are you feeling about it today? I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm quite... Yeah, I'm going to say quietly confident. I don't really know why. Um, I feel like I'm hoping you've picked a player who maybe has played Billie Jean King Cup tennis. 
that maybe I saw in Prague, hopefully. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe. I won't reveal yet. But uh, let, let's commence <laughs> without further ado. So, okay. Number one. Clue number one. I was born on the 30th of March, 1984. Okay. So, 37. Um, so, probably just retired. Um, Kimiko Date Crumb. Mm. not correct joel um i think she's actually in her 40s now oh, oh, okay but uh yeah good shout okay clue number two i reached a career high singles ranking of number four in february 2011 um is it peronkova mm. Oh, Svetlana Peronkova. <laughs> Svetlana um, Peronkova? <laughs> it isn't. No, oh, it isn't. Get to number four? Probably not. Um, I think she would have been she top, top ten. ten. Yeah. I, I would yeah. hope so. Um, okay. <laughs> I have won a combined total of 40 titles on the WTA Tour, and that includes singles, doubles, mixed doubles, and actually includes Grand Slams as well. So it gives you a bit of a clue there. So pretty handy doubles and singles player. Um, I'm going to say Patty Schneider. That's that's a really good shout. It's a really good shout. It's similar sort of generation. Okay. Probably played each other quite a lot. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. So, Yes, you know it's a female player, um, which is good. You normally start guessing men, but you're on the right <laughs> uh, right track today from the word go. Uh, okay, clue number four. In 2007, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease, uh, which meant I was out for much of the season and uh, returned in 2008 uh, after the setback. Mm. Okay. I don't know if that rings any bells for uh, mm. for you or our uh, listeners. Um, right. I don't know if this is right. Uh, I'm just going to go for another player from that era. Um, Elena Dementieva? Not a bad shout. Um, also incorrect, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Uh, what's my next clue for you? I have won one Grand Slam singles title. At the US Open. Oh, I got it. I think I've got it. Is it? Is it Sam Stozer? Yes, it is. Uh. I I knew you'd get on that one. I should have maybe, I don't know, kept that one back. But um, (laughs) yes, it is Sam Stozer. My my final clue was going to be something along the lines of, I continue to get wild cards into singles <laughs> draws, much to Joel's dismay. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not bitter about that. No. Um, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, no, that's a good one. Yeah, Sam Stozer. Yeah. She, I, she's, I, she's, and she's at the WTA finals, isn't she? In the doubles. In the doubles, yeah. But she wasn't at Billie Jean King Cup, so you didn't see her. No, last week, I know. I think. Maybe yeah. she should have played it. I don't know. Well, I guess she was too busy training for W the the end of season finals, but. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, listeners, we also have a mailbag question from Louise, who got in touch with us on email and asked us 
Uh, Kim and Joel, what is your favourite Davis Cup stroke Fed Cup stroke Billie Jean King Cup stroke Hopman Cup instrument of noise? Instrument so, of noise. <laughs> instrument I love how that's noise. worded. <laughs> so, you know, what, uh, you know, if you're in the crowd and you're looking to build up some atmosphere for your home country who are on the court, what's your, what are you, what, what musical instrument are you going to be using, Kim? What, what's your, what do you want your go to instrument to be? Well, I can't really I've, play any music. Yeah, well, I was it's got it, it's got, it's got, it's got to be a balance under there between kind of like what instruments can I play? And what instruments could I just like do and it'll just make a sound? I can't say I've actually seen this at tennis, but I really quite <laughs> liked the Vuvu Zaylas at the 2010 <laughs> FIFA World Cup in mm. South Africa. I thought they were quite cool, although I think they were quite annoying for people mm. there or watching on the TV, like the, the droning sort of noise. Um, but I would say, <laughs> yeah, maybe a Vuvu Zayla or, or just my voice, just... Um, a good old shout oh, okay. from the crowd, perhaps. What, like a chant? Do a get a, a chant. chant going? Yeah, yep. a bit of a sing song. Oh, I do okay. like a Mexican wave. Uh, but oh God, really, um... no, Kim! Mexican <laughs> waves at tennis—that is not the one. <laughs> I think they're quite jolly, and they get you up off your bum. So okay. why not? What about you? What uh, would you go uh, for? I I'm gonna go. I don't think you can beat a good old fashioned cowbell. Oh, that's very Swiss. <laughs> I just love, yeah, I just love that. It's such a distinctive sound. Um, yeah, I quite like a cowbell. A trumpet as well, I think, is quite fun. Um, or a really big, really big drum. But I've got no sense of rhythm. So I don't think I'd be very useful with um, with like a drum kind of strapped to me. So, yeah, I just think something I need to rattle. And I think a cowbell would be quite a good, quite a good one. Although I guess maybe people would be thinking I'm supporting Switzerland as opposed to as opposed to like GB. Well, I feel like Belinda Bencic probably needed a few cowbells against Samson over. <laughs> that might have helped her Very in, true. in the yeah. end. Yeah, perhaps. But um, well, we'll see what they might have down at the WTA Tour Finals in Guadalajara. Because like you said, they've got a mariachi band greeting <laughs> the players. Which they should have exciting. a mariachi band on, like, yeah, in the arena, just like cheering on uh, between the points, shouldn't they? Absolutely. But the draws are coming out this evening, so we're recording just before that but they are all out in Guadalajara we've got um you know the final eight lined up Sabalenka, Pliskova, Krachikova, Sviontek, Sakari, Muguruza, Badosa and Contivate. um gosh I mean I don't know who is really the favorite for this one because from in my mind the only player really in in form is is Annette Contivate. she's just you know no one's really really beating her of late so um but she's you know this is the, her first experience at this sort of event you know is she going to be a bit tired it's been a long you know she's had a really busy successful last few months like can she keep it up would it be completely outside the realm of possibility for her to go all the way in and have like the most amazing finish to the season and claim this title as well yeah, it's, it's a, it really is uh, up in the air, isn't it, in terms of where this is going? Because if, if Ash Barty had played, um, you know, I would have put her as, a you know, the comfortable favourite. But the fact that she's not there and we've got Sabalenka as the t- top player, um, you know, it really is, I think, quite open. Um, you know, Contivate, I think, has the momentum. 
but certainly, you know, other players have got a lot more experience, you know, having played the tour finals before, uh, you know, having played this format, but also having played, um, you know, uh, these other players that are um, in the top eight as well. And Contevate's record, um, a head-to-head record against kind of other players in the field is not particularly great when you compare it to others. I mean, all I will say is, you know, having been at the, the Billie Jean King Cup finals in Prague, I did not think Barbora Krachikova looked herself. She looked tired. I think she had a bit of strapping on her leg as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she, um, you know, obviously we haven't seen the groups, but I would not be surprised if she went out at the, the group stages based on what I saw, you know, in her singles against um, Kerber and, and Benchit. She just, um, you know, she just lacked the sort of quality really that I, you know, I saw at, at Wimbledon um, that, you know, makes me think, no, I don't think that's, even though she's like the number two kind of there, I'm not, not totally sure. I mean, for me, yeah, Sabalenka is certainly a player who I think maybe even deserves the the to win this. Given you know she's reached I think what two Grand Slam semi-finals this year, um, I think she arguably kind of deserves this. But you know, at the same time, the again court conditions might be against her because I think you know I think the expectation is these courts might be a little bit slow. You know, playing at high altitude is actually just going to null- nullify the Sabalenka power game um, and maybe it favours someone like a, a Zachary, for example, who, um, you know, I think is a, is a lot kind of more, has maybe a little, little bit more dimension to the game, a little bit more variety and can, um, you know, just sort of war of attrition style win, you know, win matches on slow courts. So, I, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of kind of ifs and maybes and buts and yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it's going to go. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Maria Zachary won won this event because, you know, she's the first time obviously here and she hasn't actually won a title this season. But I just sometimes with this event, you do get like not a rogue winner because they all deserve to be there. But someone who perhaps will have a big tournament like a week of their life and then, you know, they perhaps won't do much else or this will be like the biggest victory I've, i'm just think, thinking back to when Svitolina won won this event and um you know it was, it was a great great week and you beat your fellow top players in, in the top eight but yeah i mean it's it's a shame that obviously barty and osaka are not there but we do have a fantastic lineup and the court i think is going to be quite a slow court it's a, a higher altitude so it probably won't favor uh, like the Plishkovas of the world so much. Um, perhaps that's going to help, you know, perhaps someone like a Muguruza or Bedosa. And, you know, I mean, Spain have got, you know, two players there, which is great. Um, so I feel like, I mean, even Bedosa, she does like a slower surface, doesn't she? So perhaps she's going to be a, a dark horse as well. You know, she won Indian Wells. Why can't she win this? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's It's really open. I mean, you've got, as well as kind of two Spaniards, you've got your two Czech players in Krachikova, also Pliskova. Pliskova hasn't won a title this season. Um, so I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if she went and, you know, won, uh, won this. I mean, she is probably the most experienced player and it, it might come down to, uh, you know, experience, um, you know, playing, you know, being able to play the big points, play the big matches. Um, I certainly think that, you know, when she is on form, uh, she can be very, very hard to very, very hard to beat. And again, she might be a a player to watch out for. We just don't know, I think, until uh, we see those first that that first match or or see how the group stages kind of 
um stand up but uh yeah it'll be interesting to see i think the play is scheduled to start i think on wednesday the draw is midnight uk time tonight um we've also got the doubles kim as well and again another reason i'm not sure about how Krachikova is going to do because Krachikova is in the doubles as well with Sinyakova. Um, they are the number one ranked team. So <laughs> the fact that she's going to be doing double duty at the end of season finals, that is quite cool. It's probably a little bit of a, a claim to fame, but at the same time, it, it it's going to be very, very tiring for her, no doubt, playing lots and lots of tennis after, again, a long season where... She just, again, just looks very low on energy um, at the Billie Jean King Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I know you'll be supporting Sam Stazer um, <laughs> in the double, so you won't yeah. mind. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it's a lot of tennis she's played. Perhaps it is kind of catching up with her now. Mm. Um, but having said that, her and Sinyakova have been the standout doubles pairing, really, of the year. Them and Ayama and Shibahara. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, just focus all out this one last week of the year and they can have a nice rest uh, in December afterwards but um we await uh we await this coming draw and and this coming week with um great expectations and uh, as we do for the next gen finals Joel uh which are also well not also in Italy they are in Italy um Italy obviously have got both of the tour finals for the men which is um you know, they're just hogging all of these season ending <laughs> events. How rude. Uh, but it's got a great lineup, this event. We've got Alcaraz, Nakashima, Serendolo, and that is, I think, Juan Manuel. Juan Serendolo. Manuel Serendolo, yep. Yeah. Not, not the other one. Um, Holger Rune, they're in Group A. And then we've got Seb Calder, Lorenzo Massetti. Um, is it Sebastian Baez? Um, mm. just, I, I personally wasn't oh, that au fait with Sebastian Baez, but he's there. And Hugo Gaston in Group B. Yeah, very, very exciting group of players. We have, unfortunately, no Yannick Sinner, no Felix Auger-Aliassime. And you know, I was a bit disappointed, no Jensen Brooksby, Brooksby either. Um, he, they've all we've kind of withdrawn through injury. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry, but Brooksby has withdrawn through injury. I know Sinner and Auger-Aliassime are playing Stockholm this week. I don't know if Sinner's going as an alternate to... Um, the end of season finals uh, in Turin. But um, yeah, for the next gen, it feels like, yeah, Alcaraz certainly is going to be the favourite, I think. You know, Corda as well, uh, you know, had that very memorable run at Wimbledon earlier in the season. I'm not really count- expecting much from the, the South Americans on, on indoor hard courts. I saw their, their records. They just, feels like they just play right at the moment just on, on clay in South America on the Challenger circuit. So I'm not sure how well adapted they are going to be to playing on an indoor hard i think holger rune also could be quite a a dark horse along with hugo gasson i think rune's just won his fourth challenger title of the year and obviously gasson had that memorable run in in paris so there's a few players certainly in form at the moment and i think yeah alcraz is probably the one you're looking at thinking you know given his his wins against top 10 opponents i mean he beat yannick sinner in paris i think so you certainly i would install him as the favorite um, it'll be interesting to see actually how he bounces back from, you know, that capitulation really in, uh, you know, in Paris against Gaston and whether there are any kind of hangovers from that because, you know, he is still quite young, still quite kind of fragile. And again, he will do really well, I think, to kind of block that out of his mind, just focus on his tennis. But, you know, don't know if that's going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I do feel that Corder and Alcaraz are the standout favourites. I'd also throw Nakashima in with that because he's had a great summer, um, although more so in America itself. Um, but, you know, that's what I love about this event. It, it does throw up perhaps some, you know, young new talent. And, you know, we've, I feel like we know some of these players fairly well, apart from perhaps Sebastian Baez, but it'd be good to get to see more of him. Um, the main thing really from this tournament is that they are using it as a, a test bed for new rules and enhancements, perhaps, that they may introduce further down the line onto the actual tour. Um We've got kind of, kind of some of the key changes, which um, the first one, shorter warm-ups. So we're only getting one minute for the warm-up instead of four minutes. So, um, you know, straight out onto court, one minute, off you go, start. Uh, courtside coaching, they're opening up coaching from the sidelines. You don't need headsets. Uh, so I guess that's going to be a lot more kind of open and, and obvious. <laughs> um, they are doing limited medical timeouts, only one player per match. And I suppose this one may be the most interesting timed bathroom breaks. So maximum <laughs> three minutes in the loo. Um, plus, I think you can have two more minutes if you're changing your clothing. Mm. So I assume you have to say in advance that you need mm. the, the clothing change. Interestingly enough, um, I think Liz Curran on Twitter has uh, sort of said that, do we know if these timed bathroom breaks will allow time to travel to and from the bathroom? <laughs> um, she thinks that it should I would have to agree with her because it depends how close the bathrooms are I think you'd have to be extremely quick if you were spending a minute getting there and then potentially back as well so um, I think this is um, an interesting you know innovation and I guess that blast one especially is aimed at the sits passes or critiquers of the world and uh, those players that like to take their sweet time and using the the toilet breaks as a tactical uh, maneuver yeah, certainly. And also the limited medical timeout. So it feels like, yeah, they're camping down on things that are available in your arsenal potentially to use uh, strategically as a, instead of kind of a, a necessity. Um, you know, with these things, you're going to be expecting maybe some of these to kind of come through onto the ATP tour at some point in the future. Um, you know, this really is kind of the time to experiment with this event and you know they've had things in the past that um you know are sort of um become sort of more regular on the on the tour um you know we're also going to be having no ad scoring it's first of four best of five set matches we've seen that before um you know in previous editions it's gonna be tower racks shot clock um, and live electronic line calling as well. So yeah, it's going to be a really, really interesting event. I mean, time bathroom breaks, Kim. I know you, we've jokingly talked about that. Thank God that Stefanos Sitsabas is not playing, but this feels like an inevitable thing that is going to be coming in. I mean, do you think three minutes is enough? Or do you think that's too, too little or? Well, I think, in, you know, you'd have What's to... going to happen? Like, are they just going to awkwardly like knock on the door at like three minutes and the player on the other side is going to be like, well, I'm still going Having to the a, toilet. What if you have a bowel movement? I yeah, mean, I know. That's, that's, that's <laughs> it's <awkward>. unlikely. <laughs> it is. And then, you know, it gets into sort of people asking about players, <laughs> you know, bowel movements. And players might just be like, yeah, I had a interesting lunch. You know, I, I, I it may, yeah, it may cause uh, some issues. But I guess a lot of players don't try and abuse the system so it's probably still going to be in the minority for i mean that's why they're doing this as a test aren't they to see if it's gonna 
work and we'll have to see if the the eight players are going to follow those rules and what feedback they would have (laughs) i love also i'm really interested to see what is a one minute warm-up what does that constitute because in four minutes you could do what ground strokes come to net have some volleys do some smashes uh on some serves for one minute are you just gonna do what a serve a forehand (laughs) a drop shot and then that's it or yeah i don't i don't know what the kind of the I assume the players maybe talk with each other beforehand. It's like, what well, what do we want to do in this sixty seconds? But uh, yeah, it'd be yeah, quite interesting I... to see what 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 shots do they choose to selectively warm up versus you know before when they could just warm up everything. I feel like communication will be required, yeah, to uh, for them to be like, right, what, what are we going to focus on? Um, yeah, one minute really isn't very much, and also the fans, you know, they 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 will have to bear that in mind as well in terms of like because for me when I'm you know going on to a court I'm like oh they've got the warm-up you know it's plenty of time but there won't be so <laughs> we will see how it, how it plays out it's a little bit like going to the cinema isn't it and you see the the time listed and you're like yeah oh, there's going to be like 20 minutes of advert so you know I can turn exactly. up I don't have to turn yeah. up on time and uh yeah it's a little bit like it's it feels like it's a little bit like that on the tour at the moment but the fact that they're kind of shortening the uh yeah the the practice time means that um it's going to be closer to the i guess the the scheduled kickoff time that fans would be expecting absolutely and let's look at what we've got also happening this week we've got the uh, wta 250 event in Linz in austria uh, emma radicanu is uh, actually the top seed so i think this is the first time she's a top seed mm. at an event which is Exciting. Simona Halep is the second seed. Um, so Emma Raducanu is, I think, up against uh, Wang Jinju, I think, in the second round tomorrow, um, which, you know, I think uh, Jinju is a, a qualifier. So qualifier, yeah. hopefully Emma will, will be able to to come through her. Um, I mean, there's quite, it's quite a decent draw, to be fair. Danielle Collins, you know, Kudermatova. Yeah. Danielle Collins played really good, some really good single centre. She was the number one uh, USA player um, at the Billie Jean King Cup. And uh, yeah, I was really impressed with how she played. Um, you know, Alexandrova also there. Um, I think Danielle Collins is going to be, you know, for Radikanu. I mean, Radikanu could face Corne in the quarters. And again, Corne, I was really impressed by. Uh, for France, yes, France didn't um, get through their group stage, but um, I was really impressed with Cornet's intensity on court, and uh, I'd love to see that match up against Raducanu. I think it'd be it's going to be quite fascinating to see. I mean, this is, as you said, her first time as a top seed. Um, that doesn't feel like extra pressure on her because there's already so so much pressure already. I guess that's been installed on her from from various outlets, but. Um, yeah, I think she will want to, you know, obviously try and go as as far as possible. But I mean, looking at the bottom half, you've also got Simona Halep, who's taken a wild card in as the second seed. She's not got a title this season, so she's going to be desperate, I think, to, um, yeah, to kind of come through and and win this. Um, you know, she has got Jasmine Paulini in a half, Serana. Well, I think actually Serana Castella actually uh, pulled out. Um, she had an injury, I think, so she's dropped out and. Uh, Jacqueline Christiane, I believe, Countess Dracula from the Transylvania <laughs> yes. Open, came in as a lucky loser and defeated Rakimova. So she's actually in the second round. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Simone Halep could face, I mean, I'd quite like to see Clara Burrell, um, see how she gets on in this tournament. Because again, she's a player who I was very impressed with um, at the Billie Jean King Cup for France. 
Um, and uh, yeah, she is in that bottom path, could maybe face Halep in the quarters, but I mean, she could have to come through Yastrzemska or Paulini as well as Zheng in her first round. So not necessarily a done deal, but um, yeah, you would sort of hope potentially for a Radikanu Halep final, whether we get that, I think is going to be, uh, I wouldn't, I would say is, yeah, based on what we've seen over the last kind of few weeks, I'm not a hundred percent. I'm more, I'm more confident. I think in Simona Halep, given I think her half of the draw is a little bit kinder, I think than that top half. Yeah, I'm hoping Raducanu will do well because uh, it's been in the news bit actually today that Eddie Jones, who is the England uh, rugby head coach, is sort of having a go at her saying that, um, you know, she hasn't done very well after the US Open because she's getting distracted by, you know, off-court uh, activities. And I would love for Emma to completely prove commentators like that wrong and <laughs> you know just get some results on court because we know that you know for a variety of reasons like she, she's only played two events since the US Open and like she's not going to suddenly be winning everything like I think his comments were a bit misplaced or doesn't quite understand everything that's going on so um, I'd love her to to prove you know naysayers like that wrong um, <laughs> but we've also got the Stockholm event in uh in Stockholm, funnily enough, ATP 250, <laughs> <laughs> which I know, um, like Andy Murray and, and yourself, Joel, you really like this because it's actually in an old fashioned tennis club and they've mm. got really nice, like vintage wooden benches, um, you know, to spectate on. And it's, it's quite a nice atmosphere. Isn't yeah, it, it looks amazing. I mean, it looks amazing. Listeners, if you want to look at a, a what the world's oldest ATP indoor tournament, uh, stadium looks like it's a real tennis hall and it looks really really old school with benches behind uh behind the court uh yeah it looks a fantastic a fantastic setting um for a tournament and uh yeah we've got Yannick Sinner as the top seed Felix Auger Aliassime as the second seed and then Dan Evans and Denis Shapovalov um also in there uh, to round off the top four seeds Andy Murray Another wild card is in there. He could face Yannick Sinner in the first round, has a qualifier, sorry, in the second round, has a qualifier in the first round. Um, you know, other players of note, Kim, you've got Francis Tiafo, Botic van der Zanschulp, who I think has been had, having pretty decent post US Open uh, run of tournaments. Uh, you've also got, who else have you got? You've got, um, Dennis Isterman has Dennis Isterman, uh, qualified, yeah. I think, which is nice to to see. He's been he's been out for ages, or hasn't been on the tour in mm. ages, I should say. Um, and Leo Borg, Bjorn Borg's son, mm. has he's actually lost today, but he did have a wild card, but he's lost to Tommy mm. Paul. Um, I I'm I'm most interested in. I think Taylor Fritz in that top half could be quite dangerous i mean we spoke about his form you know he lost to novak got through to the quarters i think lost to novak Djokovic in paris i think he could be a dark horse to get to the to the final um i'm assuming yannick sinner is playing this just to keep his tennis racket warm as a you know potentially coming in as an alternate depending on what happens to to sister pass um over the next uh over the next few days but um yeah i certainly think taylor fritz could be quite a dark horse andy murray though is going to be extremely motivated for this i mean i've I'm sort of of this opinion, Kim. I'm quite worried in the sense that if he can't put a run together at an ATP 250 right at the end of the season when this draw literally had about 80% of the people drop out of it, um, and I'm sort of like, well, when when can he do it? So I'm sort of hoping for a, a good run from him, but you know, very, very tough if he, he does face the top seed in Yannick Sinner in the second round. 
Yeah, you'd expect him to get through Viktor Durasevic, who is mm. a Norwegian qualifier in the first round. But Sinner, well, Sinner, Andy, I'm I'm up for that, I have to say, if we do get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think on that note, um, we will we'll 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 let our listeners uh you know get on with their days or evenings or back to the tennis match yes. they may have uh been back watching. to Linz. um yes. back to Linz or stockholm <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we'll be back i suppose this time next week to discuss all of the action um discuss those bathroom breaks as well um how they went on in uh in milan <laughs> Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch up with the passing shot. Remember to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you want to show your support for the show, then why not leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts? And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So if you don't already, then do give us a like and a follow and a subscribe if you um, want to keep up to date with all of the updates from the Passing Shot. Um, you can also get in contact via email, passingshotpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ for the next round of tournaments on the ATP and WTA Tours. Who will win the WTA Tour Finals in Guadalajara? How will Andy Murray get on in Stockholm? We will soon find out. But I hope you can join us for our next catch up and we will see you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.